the book of Genesis, and uh, we'll get into the message which I've entitled, Family Gods. I'll have the scriptures up there on the uh, uh, <clears throat> PowerPoint presentation. Genesis chapter 31, verses 34 and 35. Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddlebag and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent and found nothing. Rachel said to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, that I cannot stand up in your presence, for the manner of women is upon me. So Laban searched and could not find the household gods. Also Genesis chapter 35, verses 2 through 4. So Jacob said to his household and all that were with him, Get rid of foreign gods that you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let's go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had, and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them under the oak of Shechem. Father, we come before you, and Lord, as we begin to examine this topic of family gods, Lord, which are really the family sins that seem to follow us often from uh, generation to generation, and even in, infect an entire culture, Lord. I pray that you'd bless us, Lord, and help us to take a stand this morning, Lord, as part of our commitment to you, Lord, as we do our self-examination and see if there is anything that is following us, Lord, that needs to be repented of, Lord, and uh, that we would be able to get right with you and break these uh, generational curses. And I thank you for being with us, Lord, anointing these lips of clay and speaking to our hearts, uh, to every one of us from the pastor on down. And Lord, give us ears to hear what your spirit would say to the church. And I pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. <clears throat> okay, I've entitled this message, Family Gods. Now, some of you might be sitting there wondering what I'm going to be getting at with that title, and also the scriptures that I used to open up the service here. Now, I mulled about this title, and I also thought about calling it Family Idols, or Family Sins, or maybe a term that would help you to understand better what I'm getting at called generational curses. That is that there are certain sins that seem to follow people uh, from generation to generation, get passed off on to other people. You know, it's not only generational, but I was talking to uh, Dolly this morning over the breakfast table, and she was telling me this kind of silly saying that uh, Thai people have. You know, when a, a child is born, they say, well, you're not supposed to say that the uh, uh, child is uh, cute, you know, but you're supposed to say that uh, uh, he or she is nagliet. Nagliet means basically ugly. Because they believe that if you say the child is cute, then the spirit will come and try to take the child away from you. So, 
This is just, you know, this is just part of their culture, you know, these little things. And, and we have the same things in, in our, you know, culture and I'm, I'm sure Native American culture, too. OK, we've got sayings like that say like uh, like father, like son. You ever heard that? Or maybe the apple doesn't fall that far from the tree, you know. The idea is that we need to take a stand against that. And these generational sins, these generational uh, curses can be broken by us when we take a stand uh, against it. I'm also going to talk about idols. Now the Apostle Paul wrote these things concerning idols. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, I'm sorry, 8 verse 4. He wrote, Therefore concerning the eat of th eating of things offered to idols, we know that uh, an idol is nothing in the world and that there is no other God but one. An idol by itself, at least, you know, when you look at it, and I know we don't uh, have physical idols for the most part in our American society today, but you go over there to Thailand, you see idols all over the land. Idols of the, uh, you know, of Buddha, and not only uh, Buddha, with, uh, but also the Hindu gods over there. And the Apostle Paul is saying, that's really nothing. That's just a piece of uh, uh, stone or uh, wood or something like that. Whatever the idol is made out of metal. You know, it's just, it's just a, a physical object. But then he goes on to say in chapter 10, What am I saying then? This is verse 19 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. What am I saying then? That an idol is anything? Or what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, that the things which, which the Gentiles sacrifice, when they sacrifice to these idols, they sacrifice to demons. So in the physical realm, it's just a physical entity, but there's more to it than that. There is an actual spirit behind it. And it's not the Holy Spirit. It's the unholy spirit. It's that of a demon. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. The psalmist also writes in Psalm uh, 139 verses 15 through 18. The idols of the nation are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Nor is there any breath in their mouths. Now this is a key thing here. They who make them are like them. So is everyone that trusts in him. So although these idols are, of the heathen are just physical off, uh, objects, there is a spiritual force behind them. That spiritual for, uh, force makes the worshiper to be just like the idol is in a spiritual sense. That is, the worshipers of them become spiritually blind. They become spiritually deaf. They become spiritually mute. And they become totally deceived, unable to accept the biblical worldview. They cannot see 
what we see because the Word of God, brothers and sisters, is the window into the world beyond our five senses. That's why you need to read and obey the Word of God. You need to know what it says and you need to act upon it. Now my question for you this morning is, what are the idols in your life? Do you have any idols in your life? Are they generational? That is, did you did it get passed to you from your uh, uh, maybe from your parents? And keep in mind, I'm not talking about physical idols, but rather the sins and the spirits behind them. Some time ago, I spoke to you about this. Remember, I, I told you about the different sins. You know, we're going to be looking at uh, the sin of deception, the spirit of deception today, which was something that uh, was passed through Jacob's family and even onto his offspring. And uh, this sin of uh, deception, the spirit of deception, is also called the lying spirit. You know, there's an occasion at the end of the book of Kings where it talks about the lying spirit. And some of these spirits behind these sins are particularly powerful and vicious. The one that's been pervading our nation right now, and I told you this before, the sin of sexual immorality, the, that sin of sexual immorality, that spirit of immorality that's permeating this society is particularly strong. And it's, you know, the more perverted it becomes, the stronger it becomes. Okay, I've told you that, that before. Now, the context of our story that I'm going to be co uh, covering today... By the way, I'm going to be covering about uh, 12 chapters out of the book of uh, Genesis... So I got to get busy with this. No, not really. But uh, how many of you read the book of Genesis? Yep. Read it, brothers and sisters. I can promise you, you will not be bored because some of the uh, uh, most prominent Bible studies that we read for uh, stories that we read to our children are contained in there. Okay? You won't be bored if you do that. Okay? Now... This story is going to be largely centered around Jacob. Remember, I, I, I talked about this uh, about three months ago for your communion meditation. You remember that uh, med uh, 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 message I gave you entitled, Wrestling with God? And we looked at uh, 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 Jacob and we saw how he wrestled with God just before he was about ready to meet up with his uh, uh, brother Esau. But I talked about that and I explained to you what does Jacob's name mean. Well, it means basically grabber. You remember when he, he and Esau came out of uh, Rebekah's womb, he was clutching Esau's heel. So they gave him that name uh, grabber. It also means though a usurper or schemer or deceiver. That was a perfect description of Jacob's character before he got hold of God. Okay, the generational curse that was upon Jacob and his family was that of the spirit of deception or the lying of uh, spirit. 
And this spirit of deception actually didn't begin with Jacob, though. It also was present there even with his father Abraham. Okay? Remember how uh, his father Abraham uh, told the king of the land that his uh, wife Sarah was his sister. Okay? Now this was only a a half-truth because... uh, Sarah was not only his wife, but she was also his half-sister. That gets revealed later on. Okay? You know, sometimes when you tell a a half-truth, it's as bad as outright lying. How many of you know what I mean? Right? You know, you just give a partial truth. You try to hide the rest of the truth to whoever it is that you tell this thing. But... Abraham told this with an aim of deceiving the uh, king of the land. And he did it twice. He did it first of all with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, back in Genesis chapter 12, verses 10 through 19. And then he did it also with Abimelech, who is the king of Gerar. And he did that, why? Because he was afraid of them. He said, uh, you know, Sarah, you're a beautiful woman. If I uh, tell them that you're my uh, my wife, you know, uh, he did it to save his own skin. They might kill me and then take you as their wife. Now, the second one, Abimelech, was, uh, you know, even more grievous. Because if you read the context of that story, this was after God said that he was going to visit Sarah, you know, Sarah must have been a real knockout because here she is pushing 90 years old and he's afraid that they're going to take him away, her away from him. They're going to kill him and take her away. So even if at, at age 89, she must have been a real knockout. But the, the thing is, it, it, why this was so serious is because if Abimelech had had relations with Sarah, that would have called Isaac's Isaac, the uh, child of the promise, it would have called his whole parentage into question. But God wouldn't allow that to happen. And, uh, you know, Abimelech found out, you know, he, God came to Abimelech in a dream and told him, you know, what was going on and not to touch uh, Sarah. So the main thing that I'm trying to get at is it, it happens even in a man uh, such as Abraham. You know, and Abraham was called the father of faith. And he became the prototype of the justification by faith. Remember that? It said, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Amen. But even he had lapses of faith. You know, and he did it to save his own skin instead of really putting his trust in God and saying, God, if you've really got this uh, plan you know, for my life, it's not going to happen. Nothing is going to happen to me. Now, Isaac was born as a result of that union, and it was a miracle of God because Sarah was 90 years old and Abraham was 100. Isaac was the child of the promise. And then Isaac turns around and does the same thing. He, uh, again, it was with Abimelech, king of Gerar. You read about this in Genesis chapter 26, verses 6 through 11. Again, what do we say? Like father, like son. 
Now Isaac, when he became grown, he married into the family of a man by the name of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor. So this is all kind of in the family. And this family, the family that came from Bethuel, took the spirit of deception to a whole new level. Isaac's son Jacob obviously had it. It started with how he cheated Esau, his brother, out of his birthright. You know, we talked about this three weeks ago, or three months ago, when I went through this. You know, found in Genesis chapter uh, 25, verses 27 through 34. Basically, in that story, uh, Esau, who loved to go out and hunt, he went out into the, uh, uh, the forest, you know, hunting for game, came back, and he's just absolutely famished. And who's there waiting for him? None other but uh, Jacob. And Jacob has uh, cooked this stew of lentils and uh, whatever else he wanted to put into that. And Esau says, you know, uh, give me some of that stew. I'm really hungry. I've been hunting for maybe for days and I'm really hungry right now. And Jacob says, well, you can't have any of it unless you first sell it to me your birthright. And then Esau just kind of flippantly says, well, you know, what good is the birthright for me if I uh, perish of hunger? Was he really going to perish of, with hunger, you know? I mean, he could have just spent a little bit more time fixing his own meal later on. You know, he, he would do this in a later occasion. So he knew how to cook. Or maybe you could have the mother fix him up something. Something like that. He wasn't going to die, even though he made it seem like that. And it says, uh, uh, <clears throat> it says here, um, And Jacob gave Esau bread and a, the stew of uh, lentils. Then he ate and drank, arose and went on his way. No big deal. But then the Bible says, this is one of the most tragic verses in all the scriptures. Thus Esau despised his birthright. And you know, brothers and sisters, a lot of people are like that. They go after that next shiny thing, that the little bait of Satan known as the flesh, and they go after that. They don't stop to think of the ramifications of what they're doing. And the things of God don't matter to them. In fact, at the moment, maybe you know God seems to be the farthest person in the world away from them. They completely ignore God and seek, seek to gratify their own flesh. Esau was after instant gratification. The promises of God meant nothing to him. Remember I talked about those two chemicals in your brain. You've got dopamine and then you've got oxytocin. Dopamine is the pleasure thing. That's the thing that gets you hooked on different things. And, and like I was telling you before, you know, if you engage in this dopamine, it has a tendency to actually alter your brain. They found this true, like I told you last week, you know, with pornography. It actually alters your brain. 
And on the other hand, you've got oxytocin. Oxytocin is the intimacy drug. That's what you should be feeling when you're in prayer. That's what the uh, husband and wife feel when they're uh, experiencing their intimate moments. Very important. We need to be seeking that oxytocin with God, not the dopamine of the world. Can you say amen to that? And, but, you know, it's so easy to get that dopamine rush, and there's so many ways that you can do it. Oxytocin. Now, as I mentioned before, Esau was not a bad person. You know, he wasn't a mur murderer or something like that, a robber or anything like that. But the problem with uh, Esau is that the promises of God meant nothing to him. Was that really worth it? That bowl of beans at the moment, and he sells away his birthright. And he would later regret it. Believe me, he, he would regret it. So what about you? Do God's promises mean something to you, brothers and sisters? What has God promised you? I'm going to say that again. What has God promised you? Do you even know what God has promised you? Amen. He's promised you everlasting life. But I'm, I, I'm talking about in your life right now, not, not just the life to, to come. What has He promised you? Is there something that He wants to do in your life and with your life? He wants you to be an instrument in His hand to win the lost. What has God promised you? So many of us have unsaved loved ones. You ever seek God about that? Has God promised you to give that person, you know, to you, that you would lead them to the Lord or you would see them led to the Lord? Other things, some kind of ministry. If you don't know what God has promised you, brothers and sisters, you need to get on your knees and pray and ask Him to show you what He wants to do with your life. Esau also married pagan women. Genesis chapter 26, uh, verses 34 and 35. Specifically, he married a couple of uh, Hittite women. The son, uh, they were of the sons of Heth. Remember I talked about the Hittites? The Hittites represent a <coughs> spirit. They were called the sons of terror. And I told you the Hittites represent a spirit that you need to overcome. Come, and that is the spirit of fear. Before you can ever really have victory in your Christian life, brothers and sisters, you need to overcome that spirit of fear. Now, even Abraham had that spirit of fear. That's why he came up with these uh, partial truths that he uh, expressed later. So, what we learn from Esau marrying these... Uh, uh, daughters of the uh, uh, of Heth, the spirit of fear, is that his spiritual legacy meant nothing to him, because these women would lead their offspring astray. So, 
What kind of spiritual legacy? And that's what really what I'm trying to get at. And eventually I'm going to bring all this together at the end of the uh, uh, message. You know, what kind of spiritual legacy do you want for your offspring, brothers and sisters? Do you want them to serve God? Or do you want to serve the gods of this world? Okay, so now you've got Jacob and his mother, Rebecca. Both of them, Rebecca, remember, is the daughter of Bethuel, where this spirit of deception really became full-blown. And both of uh, Jacob and Rebecca had this spirit of uh, deception. You see this in the second instance of uh, uh, Jacob's scheming and deceiving Esau, and this was much more serious. Before he just cheated him, you know, and Esau was a willing participant. <clears throat> but this time it amounted to outright stealing and it was done with the collaboration of his mother, uh, Rebecca. Rebecca favored Jacob rather than Esau. So the gist of the story is Isaac says, Esau, go out and uh, uh, Get some game, then come back and cook it for me. You know, a savory stew like what I love. And that, then I'm going to give you your blessing. And uh, Jacob, of course, said, you know, I want the blessing. And Rebecca says, I want that blessing to go to Jacob. So they cooked up this scheme while Esau is out there and uh, uh, looking for game to come back and cook for the stew for Isaac. And uh, they, they pulled the old switcheroo on Isaac. He's die, uh, di you know, his eyesight was really dim. He was almost blind. He couldn't really see. They uh, went so far as to put uh, Esau's clothes on him and even put these goat skins on because, you know, uh, Esau was a hairy man and... Uh, uh, Jacob wasn't, so they put these uh, goatskin things on, on his hands and also on his neck over here so that if uh, uh, Isaac went and felt him, he would think that it was indeed Esau. And, you know, then uh, uh, Rebecca fixes the, the stew that uh, uh, Isaac likes. Jacob brings it into him, says, I'm, I'm Esau here. And, uh, and uh, Jacob says to me, to him, he says, "How how is it that you uh, uh, got the you know the uh, uh, the game so quickly and cooked it so quickly?" And you know what uh, Jacob says? He says, "Because the Lord your God, interesting, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God, the Lord your God." So even at this point, you know, of course. Jacob's heard all these stories about uh, Abraham and the miraculous uh, birth of Isaac and how, you know, the uh, promise is passing through the family. He knows all about that, but he still doesn't know God. He says, the Lord your God, not the Lord my God, has brought the game to me quickly. Okay, so total deception. Now... And he, by doing this, he steals the blessing that was intended for Esau. Now, 
Nowhere does it say that God approved of Jacob's methods. But the main thing is that these things of God meant something to Jacob. So his heart was right in that sense with God. And Esau was naturally very angry about what uh, Jacob had did and swears he's going to kill them when after Isaac dies. Rebekah catches wind of this and urges uh, Isaac to send Jacob off to her brother Laban. Many days journey. The tragedy is this is going to be the last that Jacob sees of his beloved mother, Rebekah. She was dead by the time that he got back. And she thinks at first it'll only be a few days. So, you know, wait, go there for a few days. Wait till Esau cools off. But then she thinks better of it. And she starts thinking about that spiritual legacy. And she wants him to seek a wife among her brother's family. And Isaac agrees to this and then sends him off, chapter 27, to get a wife from them rather than the Hittites and the other Canaanite women that were in the land. So, Jacob journeys towards his, his uncle Laban, who was Rebekah's uh, brother. But on the way, in a place he named Bethel, which means house of God, he has an encounter with God. You read about this in chapter 28. And this was his first personal experience with the God of his father, Isaac, and, and also Abraham. And he receives a, a vision from that. And I'll just quickly uh, uh, read through that. This is found in uh, uh, Genesis 28. And Jacob went out from Beersheba, Toward, went toward Haran, and he came to a certain place and tarried there all night because the sun was set. And he took uh, of the stones of the place and put them on his for his pillars pillows and lay down on, on, in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set on, up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of uh, God ascending and descending on it. You know that story, you know, uh, the story of Jacob's ladder. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the God of Isaac, the land wherein you liest. To you I will give it to, and to your seed. And your seed will be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and your seed, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And behold, I am with you. And will keep you in all places wherever you go. And will bring you again to the land which I will not uh, <clears throat> leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And Jacob uh, awoke out of his sleep and he said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And then it's, it's kind of, uh, you know, this, this is typical of Jacob. He's always the wheeler dealer. You know who he starts making deals with here? He starts making deals with God. And Jacob vowed a vow and said, If God will be with me and keep me in this way where that I go and give me bread to eat and raiment to put on so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set up for a pillar will be God's house. And of surely of all you gave me, I will surely give the tenth unto you. 
So he's making deals with God. Not a really good idea. You know, there, there's times when I have made deals with God. And if you make a deal with God, brothers and sisters, you know what? You better fulfill your commitment, your end of the bargain. Amen? Okay, you want God's blessings? You fulfill your end of the bargain. I can tell you stories about these things in my own personal life, but I, I've got to move on here. Okay, so Jacob arrives in Laban's place. He falls in love with Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. And it doesn't take time long before he makes another deal. And that deal is, you give me Rachel as my wife and I'll serve you for seven years. Now, Jacob has finally met his match with Laban. Because much as uh, Jacob deceived, Laban was even worse. That, as far as that spirit of deception. Now, after serving him, uh, Laban, for those seven years, he gets married. And only to find out he wakes the, the next morning after the wedding night and he finds out it wasn't Rachel. Who was it? It was Leah. Leah was the older daughter. And Laban uh, gives him this excuse. Well, you see, it's not our custom to marry off the younger daughter before marrying off the older one. But he says, I'll tell you what, you really want Rachel as your wife? All you got to do is serve me seven more years. So <laughs> that's what happens. Serve me another four years and you can have Rachel too. So Jacob serves him another seven years. And in the meantime, he marries Zilpah, who is the handmaiden of Leah, and also Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid. And so he was married to these four wives, and between the four of them, they gave him 12 sons. Who did these 12 sons become? They became the 12 tribes of Israel. So after serving a total of 14 years, Jacob wants to return to his father Isaac along with his family. Laban badly wants to keep Jacob on because while Jacob was hit there in his household, God was blessing the uh, household of Laban. He prospered mightily while uh, <clears throat> Jacob was there. And he wants Jacob to stay, so he says, well, you know, I want you to stay, you know, name whatever your uh, wages are. And, uh, you know, he makes, he and uh, Jacob make another deal. And the details of it are Genesis chapter 30, verse 27 through 43. And we know that this deal, the way that things worked out, was not the, everything that transpired in those final six of, years of uh, Jacob's stay with Laban. Because when he left, Jacob complains to uh, Leah and Rachel. He says, your father has changed my wages ten ways. So there's a lot more that went on, you know, ever that spiritual of deception, you know, it was present there in Laban. Now, Jacob's final act of deception was to steal away in the middle of the night while Laban was out shearing sheep. And Laban didn't find out about it for three days. Then he goes after him. And Laban was very angry. 
not only because uh, Jacob snuck off without uh, informing him, but also Genesis 31 verse 19, Rachel stole her father's, that is Laban's, household gods. And this is what I was trying to get at right here. Now, Laban catches up with him. You know, he wants to find these gods especially. But God comes to him in a vision. You know, and he could have uh, brought Jacob and his household great bodily harm. But God appeared to him just before he caught up with them. It took him seven days to catch up with him. And just before he caught up with them, God appears to him in a dream. And says, don't, uh, uh, essentially, don't mess with Jacob. You know, don't bring him any kind of bodily harm. And he tells uh, Jacob, he says, it's in my power to great, do you a great deal of harm. But he said, the Lord your God. Again, the Lord your God. So Laban and his family, his household, didn't know the God of Abraham and Isaac and now Jacob. Instead, he was an idolater. But then again, so was Rachel herself. So why she stole these household gods, these household idols, is not exactly uh, clear. But it's also true in that culture, according to J. Vernon McGee, the possession of those household gods implied leadership of the whole family, which meant that the possession of those gods meant that Laban, that uh, Jacob was going to inherit all that Laban had. So it's no wonder why Laban was so mad. You know, it's uh, strange when you think about this. You know, Rachel is, is Jacob's, uh, uh, you know, beloved. You know, she was the love of his wife. And she was a beautiful woman, but she wasn't really that innocent either. She was a, you know, she inherited that deceiving spirit. She was a conniving uh, uh, person who also was a thief. Now Laban can't find those gods. Laban accuses Jacob of taking them for that reason, you know, that uh, maybe... You know, you're intending to inherit all my possessions. In truth, the, uh, uh, Jacob had no designs on that. God had told him to go there to Bethel and eventually to Beersheba, where his father Isaac was. <clears throat> and Jacob denies it. He didn't know about it. Even He even said that if anybody in his entourage was found with these household gods, that he or she was to be killed. Now, Jacob said this without knowing that his beloved Rachel was the culprit, the one that had stolen it. You know, he might have had second thoughts about saying that if he'd have known uh, it was she that had done it. Laban searches through everybody's tent and finds nothing. The reason for that, says in Genesis chapter 31, verses 34 and 35, Now Rachel had taken the household gods and put them inside her camel's saddlebag and was sitting on them. Laban searched through everything in the tent and found nothing. Rachel says to her father, Don't be angry, my lord, for I cannot stand up in your presence. I'm having my period. You know, <laughs> That, well, that's what it means. You know, the King James kind of sanitizes it and says, the manner of women is upon me. But that's, you know, essentially what she meant there. Okay? 
So Laban um, searched but could not find the household gods. So Laban was forced to leave not finding the gods. He couldn't do anything else as God had told, spoken to him in that dream that he was not to harm Jacob or his family. Now the final entry to this is that Rachel dies eventually in childbirth. I'll get to that a little bit later on. Okay, I'm trying to go as fast as I can. Okay, practical application. Remember that there are spirits behind these idols. As Paul has told us, that the, you have these idols you sacrifice to demons. And remember, too, that there are spiritual forces behind sins. And these spirits keep us bound to these sins. And if we don't repent of them, they stand a good chance of being passed on to our offspring. Remember, I've told you about the weeds. I'm out there trying to, uh, you know, Susie and I are out there trying to eradicate the uh, bullheads or goatheads, whatever you want to call them, out there. Why? Because I don't want them to go to seed like they did last year. And then we have such problems. And seeds, these uh, weed seeds, are like the sins in your life. You need to eradicate them because they'll go to seed. And when you go to seed, then you start passing them off to your offspring. That's what we mean by the generational curse. And how often when we look at our lives, we see the same sins as we do with our fathers and mothers. It happened in Jacob's family. Rebecca passed on to him, Jacob the spirit of deception. And we, again, we might call it a lying spirit. And then Laban, Rebekah's father, in turn passed it on to Rachel as she stole the family gods. Well, I see. Turnabout is fair play. You know, he had this lying spirit. He passed it on to Rachel. And then it comes back to bite him. Now, there are generational curses. I just jotted a few of these down. Do you see any of these in your life? There's that spirit of deception, which we call a lying spirit. Materialism. Materialism has manifested in covetousness. You know, the Apostle Paul even calls this uh, covetousness. There's substance abuse, alcohol, and drug abuse. Be careful if you have a problem with alcohol or drugs because you just might well pass it off to your children. Other religions, not only the foreign religions, but we've got this new religion that's going on. And I <clears throat> was looking through the book of 1 Timothy says here in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Now the Spirit expressed that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Brothers and sisters, we've got a new religion in this place. You know... Mainstream media is getting after Ron DeSantis because he was calling this uh, climate change a new religion. And they're worshiping at the altar of this, you know, new religion of climate change. Now, 
Ron DeSantis, and by the way, I agree with him, he was only giving a partial truth because that altar of climate change is only one part of this new religion, which I call wokeism. And this wokeism is sweeping the land. It's the, they also worship at the altar of open borders. They worship at the, the altar, in this most grievous of all, of radical gender ideology. You know, it's no coincidence that I put that registra voter registration back there, brothers and sisters. I want you to vote in this coming election. And again, if you don't like what's going on, you know, you need to fill that thing out. And there's so many other facets to that. You know, so many things. They're, they're worshiping at the uh, altar of abortion. It's getting worse and worse, brothers and we need to stand against it. We not only need to pray, but we need to do the practical thing, and that is to vote. Okay, spirit of lust. I've talked about this. This is, I think, is caused by this rampant internet pornography that's going on. And this nation is going, getting further and further downhill with this spirit of lust in this nation. Gambling spirit. Perfect example of a dopamine high. People go out there and gamble. You know, they win and give us them a dopamine rush. Okay. Involvement in the occult. This is maybe one of the most grievous of all. And it's interwoven with many of these foreign religions. Spirit of rebellion towards God and others. Boastful attitude. You ever met somebody with a boastful attitude? It's all about them, right? And they pass that off to their offsprings. Finally, spirit of anger. For some, many, for many people, that spirit of anger is uncontrollable. And it gets passed on to their offspring. God's solution to the generational curse. I'm going to go through this and then I'm finished. Okay. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 35 verses 1 through 4. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau your brother. So Jacob said to his household and all that were with him, Get rid of the foreign gods you have with you, and purify yourselves and change your clothes. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God who answered me in the day of my distress and who has been with me wherever I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and the rings in their ears, and Jacob buried them at the oak, under the oak at Shechem. So when God tells Jacob to go up to Bethel, and he said, don't just make a quick stop there. He said, dwell there. He says, in effect, you are still not ready to go all the way back to your father Isaac. You need to take care of business first. Namely, purifying your heart. Jacob responds by telling his entire entourage, get rid of all foreign gods. God calls us to do the same, brothers and sisters. Namely, purify your heart. And are you holding on to things in your life that you need to let go of? 
Purify your hearts. Repent fully of those sins that you've been holding on to. 1 John 1, 7. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from some unrighteousness. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. All unrighteousness. Not just a little bit, not just some unrighteousness. All unrighteousness. Amen. Hallelujah. Change your garments. In scriptures, garments speak of habits. Do your garments, do your habits, reflect the old life or do they reflect the new? Paul wrote, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Amen. It says in Jude 22, Second part of that verse. I love that this part. Hating even the garment that is defiled or uh, spotted by the flesh. King James reads, uh, spotted by the flesh. Defiled by the flesh. Okay, we're almost finished here. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 35. Then come, let us go up to Bethel, where I will build an altar to God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and who has been with me wherever I have gone. Question for you, brothers and sisters. Have you built up that altar in your heart? Have you built it to the Lord? Do you go to the Lord in, in prayer at that prayer altar? Those of you that have young families, do you have that altar built up in your home where you and your family gather around and have family devotions at a time of family prayer? You need to have a family altar too. Amen. It says verse Four of Genesis 35. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods they had and rings in their ears. And Shechem, Jacob buried them under the oak at Shechem. Earrings were associated. Again, it's from J. Vernon McGee. Earrings were associated with worship in those days. So they got rid of those too. And I see a parallel with these earrings. What do you do with your ears? You hear. You need to have your ears cleaned spiritually, I'm speaking, so that you hear the voice of God and you don't listen to the voice of the world. You don't listen to the voice of Satan. Amen? Be careful what you listen to, what proceeds into your soul and to your spirit through the ear gate. So Jacob takes all of these foreign gods and earrings and he buries them. He didn't, didn't just have them tucked away somewhere, he buried them. When I was pastoring a uh, 
small Thai church in the San Diego area. Back about 20 years ago, we had this woman that came in and she was really uh, heavy into the Buddhism and the uh, idolatry associated with it. And she says, I want to receive the Lord. So she received the Lord. And uh, another member of the church that lived up in the same region of town that she did had gone to his, uh, you know, her house and found out that all of the uh, idols, you know, the Buddhist idols and Hindu idols were, were all gone in there. And then this woman, within a, a matter of months, turned back again to the religion of Thailand. And this same member of the church went to her house later on, and she said the, the idols were all back up there on her shelves. So she didn't put them away. She didn't get rid of them. She just put them, uh, put them aside. And then when she decided to go back to that old way of life, she put them out again. So often that's what we do. You've got to get rid of those sins. Amen? Amen. You've got to bury them away. I'll tell you too, you know, if you've got anything associated with that despicable <clears throat> sin of uh, the occult, you need to burn it. You've got a Ouija board, you need to burn it. Tarot cards, burn that. Completely destroy it. If you, if you don't, that spirit is going to come back and try to recapture you again. <clears throat> and again, the sad epilogue to this story, just a short time later, Rachel died in childbirth when she was giving birth to uh, Benjamin, who was the last of uh, the, uh, who founded the last of the <clears throat> 12 tribes. Sometimes I wonder, concerning her fascinated with, fascination with these foreign gods, maybe God took her life, much to the heartbreak of uh, uh, Jacob. You know, he, she was her, his one true li love in life. Maybe he took her life because God didn't want uh, her to be an influence on uh, uh, the one <clears throat> that uh, proved to be the most godly of the uh, uh, the twelve sons, Joseph. Who knows? Conclusion. Okay? You need to break that generational curse on your life. That generational curse on your family. And build a new spiritual legacy in your life. Now those of you that are uh, uh, of the TC family... I love what Grandpa and Grandma T.C. did in your life. What an influence he was for you. He, he and she, both, the, both the, uh, Grandma and Grandpa uh, T.C., they gave you a spiritual legacy that is seen because of the changed lives in your life. Amen. Are you continuing that on? And passing that on to your offspring just as they did to you. And they're an example to all of us too. How you can build a legacy and you can break the generational curses through the power that's in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Okay. Now that's the meditation.
And we're going to partake of the, uh, uh, the elements. Uh, if you would, uh, uh, Freddie and uh, Sarah, if you would come forward here and let's distribute the elements. Remember, brothers and sisters, there's a twofold purpose in taking communion. What are those twofold? You should have it memorized by now. Number one, it is to remember what Jesus Christ did for you on that cross. This do in remembrance of me. There's no mystical transformation of these elements. They represent that we are to remember what Jesus Christ did for us. How he suffered and bled and died for us. And number two, we're to examine ourselves. And that's the 